Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hi, and welcome to another amazing episode of Logistics with Purpose. My name is Enrique Alvarez, and I'm here with my co-host, Christy. Christy, how are you doing today? I'm good. I We were having fun before we got started recording, and I think we continually find ourselves asking, how do we get these people to come chat with us? This is so fun. So <laughs> I'm excited for today as well. Definitely exciting. And yeah, we have the pre-show conversation, the more engaging one that we've ever had. So thanks for our host today. And Christy, before I let you introduce our host, we're heading into the Thanksgiving here in the U.S. I know this might probably come out a lot uh, farther out in the future, but is there one thing you're thankful for? I have had a really great year of travel. So I'm really thankful for travel and getting to see new places and be in new areas. That's me. What about you? Yeah, thankful for a good year. It's been good trouble. I'm probably going to go with just my family. I've enjoyed hanging out with my kids and it's been a really cool kind of year. Son starting to drive, my daughter loving volleyball. So that's awesome. Good kids. So without further ado, let me introduce everyone to Aaron Edwards, co founder and CEO of the Charles Group. Welcome, Aaron, to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, well. Very well, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. And I guess to be fair, what are you thankful for? And we'll start with that and then we'll get back to the questioning. Well, I've had the joy of listening to your two answers, so I'm going to copy and paste. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually very thankful for my wife who's let me travel this year. So it's family and travel. Yes, good. Um, That's a good one. Without her, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. So, And I wouldn't have met you. And Yeah, so... Thankful for my family and for the ability to get out and see and meet new folks. Two good, very good answers. Um, yes. And so now you'll, of course, be able to allow your wife to listen because you've thanked her in the process. So good for you. Uh, and I'll be in trouble because I didn't think of actually thanking my wife. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. You're all welcome. <laughs> well, we're excited to hear more about you and learn about the Charles Group and So one of the ways we love kicking this off is everybody has a unique origin story. So we'd like to ask about yours. So tell us a little bit, clearly you do not have a Southern accent. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up in your childhood. Oh, my childhood. Wow. We're going (laughs) there. That was the heavy hitting. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm originally from Manchester in the UK. So Manchester United football team. Uh, best football team in the world, by the way. And uh, Oasis, Happy Mondays. Manchester's the cultural city of England. It's not London, just as an FYI. There's a big thing about Mancunians and Londoners. But anyway, I digress. Born in Manchester, went to school in Hull, well, left Hull, moved to London, and started working in finance. But my background was, you know, was really good. I had a pretty typical upbringing. Pretty strict parents, went to very good schools, didn't listen, didn't care for schools, wasn't very particularly academic. And um, it was only until I got 
to a bit older where I started to realize the importance of maybe studying and probably paying attention to things. Prior to that, it was just into sports and playing music. So I was a late bloomer from that perspective. What kind of instrument do you play? Oh my God, this is going back. I actually played <laughs> violin. Can you believe it? Played violin, that's thing. amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. It was a disaster for my parents for the first three years, I would imagine, right? Just hearing that screech every five minutes. But I got to a good level. I think it was grade five. And then, you know, I gave it up. Play guitar. Oh, nice. And you've mentioned also sports and football. Is it, I mean, you play football, I'm guessing. What position? No, it was actually no football. No, rugby. it was rugby. I went to a rugby school. So they were big on, I was big on rugby. I was big on cricket. And I was big on table tennis, believe it or not, and basketball. Nice. That was my sports. Wide variety. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I had really good hand-to-eye coordination. Okay. And that, that was it because... I used to get injured in rugby, so I couldn't play that for too much longer. And then cricket, I just got bored of. And then it became table tennis and basketball. That was my, my thing. Wow. Thing. That's great. So looking back at the time that you were younger also, what kind of story from kind of those years can you share with us that kind of shaped the person that you are now and the successful entrepreneur that you've become? Um, hmm. I think it probably is like... I think the sports is interesting, actually. And I think there's there's been a study around the military and sports um, for folks' personalities that tend to do well in business. And and I think, not that I'm saying I've done particularly well in business compared to, to most, but I think I've done, as I'm, I'm doing as good as I can do, is, is how I would say. And, you know, I think there's a, a certain element of grit and determination that yeah. you you pick up playing sports at, at you know, a decent level, played county cricket, played for my county for rugby as well and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just a teamwork, grit and element, you know, grit, hustle, all the things that make up, you never give up, right? I think that's kind of the thing that I was taught when I was younger. And it's just kind of given me a zest for business because I'm relentless, as my clients will probably tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, I think grit and hustle are two, yeah, lessons that you will carry with you and that will help you succeed no matter what you're doing personally and professionally. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, wanted to also, of course, talk about your professional journey. So you graduated from the University of Hull, Bachelor of Science in Accounting and Finance. So Accounting and finance is interesting. Um, it is, I do not have a head for numbers at all. I am definitely a words person. So tell us about sort of those years, what you learned and what led you to from the basketball court to accounting and finance. How'd you get there and what were the the goals? Because obviously you said you developed a love of learning later on. Yeah, well, the thing that I always really enjoyed was making money, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. That was something, it's funny, man. I was talking to my mom about it the other day. She was like, you know, I always knew you were going to do something with money because when you were a kid, you used to collect all of the pennies around the house and <laughs> would stack them and I and stack coins on my window shelf and I would what? count them every single day. I wanted to know exactly to the penny how much I had found or collected over time. And then Christmas came and I would take my Christmas money and I would store it. I used to store it in a lampshade because I was worried somebody might steal it. 
and do all this weird things with money. But I was always interested in money. And then the film Wall Street came out. I don't know if you ever saw it. Yep. And I was, oh my God, that's what I want to do when I'm older. I think I want to be like a guy in finance. It looks really cool and so much fun. And it was the 80s, Gordon Gecko. And so I actually spoke to family members and friends. And I really thought that I wanted to do my own business at some point. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to learn the most fundamental part of business, which is finance. And so my idea was study finance, work in finance, and then eventually leave finance to do my own thing. Mm. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you've had like a really strong plan from the very early on. And I'm glad you made the reference to the first Wall Street, because for for a second there, I thought you were actually going to be talking about the second one. No, but uh, <laughs> <The OG. laughs> yeah. no. So finance, and I have to point out that you also took you did an online grad at Wharton, right? An online business administration, and at Wharton, I'm a fellow Wharton grad. I was curious to see if once you actually already collected all those coins and went through the phase and watched the movie, you finally landed at at Wharton. What did you learn from that? Is there something that you actually got? Um, out of it and how did that help you later on you know it was interesting doing that course because i'll be honest i was never I've, i was never really that interested in like academics or academia just it wasn't something as a younger person i was just this was maybe at a level of immaturity where i didn't i didn't want to know i wanted to do other things it wasn't interesting and so as i've got older it's become the opposite right i've become like Oh, how do I get more? How do I learn more? How do I yeah. read more? Like my podcasts, you know, just hours and hours and hours of streaming. If I'm not in an intense conversation and meeting, I'm listening to a podcast through, throughout the day. First thing I do in the morning is play the news. I walk to work, play a podcast, have my lunch, play a podcast. So I'm constantly trying to absorb information, looking at YouTube and so forth. But that just wasn't the case when I was younger. And so I was saying to uh, my business partners, I was like, I really want to do something that um, gives me a sense of meeting other folks and getting a chance to learn the fundamentals of some areas of business that I feel I might be not so strong in. Um, the course was heavily focused on corporate governance. And actually, it was just an area I hadn't really even considered or thought about, like boardrooms, how to manage a board, how to create a board, what is a board. How do you create the governance structures? What are they? And so there was a lot of information that I don't typically think people really think too hard about, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about um, business administration in general, specifically corporate governance. And then it was the people. Right? I met so many interesting people on that course. Um, you know, CEOs, even other like like academics, people that I just would was, would never consider would take an online course right. on oh <laughs> you know and right. you're asking them simple questions and all of a sudden it turns out the person that you were doing a workshop with runs a twenty billion dollar firm that does X Y and Z and you're like holy crap like, oh. yeah I'm talking am I really talking to this person that's right. the way I feel at the CEO summit every minute by the way you yeah. just describe that feeling. 100%. It's so, and it's exciting, isn't it? Right. When you meet new people who you just know, get it. And then they're telling you things and you're like, yes, I've, I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. Like that's such an interesting way of doing it or thinking about it. So, yeah. It's like riding, you're in New York. It's like riding the subway in New York. You never know who you're going to meet on there. And it's such a micro. <laughs> 
Um, well, I want to ask you, of course, about the trials group, but now I have to go back and ask you, so what podcast are you listening to? What are you going to recommend to us? I actually did a LinkedIn post recently. So nice. shamedly, I'm going to, I'm going to regurgitate the information from there. But I think one of my, one of my go-tos is definitely Thoughts on the Market by Morgan Stanley. And it sounds lame, but honest to God, some of the stuff, <laughs> it sounds incredibly dry, right? Like thoughts on the market. We'll try it. Well, you'd be amazed at how public market information and also just like the thesis that a lot of financial institutions have around sectors and how you see that actually playing out in real time when you have a conversation right. with a brand, you work with a computer manufacturing business, and then you hear about NVIDIA's new release of XGPU on and what that means for processing speed and power and com and computational power and you start saying well wait hang on a second this computer hardware company that I work for leverages these chips and what happens when X Y and Z starts to happen and then all of a sudden you know you're in a world of oh my god learning and thinking about things in a very different way so I find I find finance actually is a really grounding, very data-centric, factual way of, of garnering information about what's going on in sectors. Masters of Scale is another one, Reid Hoffman. Great yeah, one. really, really enjoy that. How I Built This, Guy Raz, obviously, that's pretty standard. And then Talking to Ourselves is another one by Omid Fahang. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. So these are some that I listen to. But Oh, and there's really an amazing one called acquired acquired yeah acquired oh my gosh they do insanely in-depth and um, discussions so they had a two-hour podcast with charlie munger warren buffett's investment partner and they also had one with a, an actual analysis of nvidia that's why i was talking about nvidia because it's fresh top of mind and they go into like the very technical weeds and they start explaining concepts that are heavy in computer science and things like that. And it can go over your head very quickly, but they seem to be able to break it down in a very simple way. So highly recommend Acquired if you're looking to build like deep technical knowledge in anything. Fantastic. Well, I love the way you're pushing yourself to learn and grow in new subject areas as well. But of course, we have you on here. We want to talk about the Charles Group. This is what you've spent your life building and leading up to. So tell us about not only just what you do, but how you got started. Where did this idea come from? So the Charles was the birth child of an idea that I had when I just left my job in finance. And I was sitting in East London in a coffee shop on my remote, my gardening leave, figuring out what the next business was. And I'd start jotting down all these ideas and then I'd go to watch a show, Entourage. And I thought legitimately that I was going to become Ari Gold. I wanted to move <laughs> to California and like, you know, manage sports agents and do all this cool stuff. And then I moved to, well, actually it came to New York on a visit and I met a talent at managing person he was like don't do this business it sucks it's hard work it's just not worth it um and so i was thinking about new ideas and one of them was like advertising agency and so my sister was running freelance business she was an advertising executive and she was doing a freelance biz and i was helping her with her finances and i was like yeah there's actually money in this like you're charging this amount of money maybe there's uh, an opportunity to build something here and so it's basically just the genesis and then there's the whole story of how we got started but yeah it was really looking at 
the sector and figuring out as an analyst, what would be my take and how could you change the model? And before we kind of like deep dive into the other question I had, just very randomly and kind of like in general, what is it that you do, right? On a day-to-day basis, what is an ad agency? And I know that we actually know the term very well, but maybe some of our folks that are listening to us, me included, might not know exactly what that entails. It's the dark art, the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Some will tell you it's branding. Some will say it's marketing. Some will say it's creative and design. And to be honest, it's all those things, right? Right. I mean, what we do is we turn desire um, into demand, right? Nice. The idea that you can like to have or own or you've heard of something it's like, well, how do you take that and turn it into something tangible? Yeah. The action of it, like how do you actually convert someone? How do you? Nice. I like it. That's a very good definition as well. Desire into demand. I like it. And you've, of course, worked with multiple clients in the lifestyle, luxury, beauty, fashion, technology sectors. How do you combine like all that creativity and all that desire into demand formula to really accomplish your goals? And what role does strategic planning in your approach outside of just the making clients look good? Yeah, I I think, and it's a super cliche term, and I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it. (laughs) Your client's business, right? Like, it's actually, it's not that simple. And it's not a skill that I can say you you can just develop or you have. It takes time to hone in and learn that. Uh, I think we spent, I spent seven years, eight years learning the business. And I think in the last four, we're now seeing the benefit of, of having learned the business. If I'm just going to be really honest, right? It was a lot of trial and error. But I think it's understanding your business, understanding the business objectives, And then being able to understand like the model behind the business, right? Like we talk about business models and it's like, well, what is that? Is that operating structure? Is that organizational design? Is that, you know, financial modeling and planning? And it's a combination of all of those things, right? It's being able to, to look at something and say, okay, what are the mechanics behind what makes that sell? Or, you know, what is the product made of? What's the technical details, the technicity that makes up what that is? And so how do you then translate that into some form of value? How do you explain what that value is to somebody? So to me, that's you know a very like difficult thing to do. And I think when you have an agency or a company that understands how right. a business works first, then it becomes uh, easy to market and, and advertise for them. Yeah, makes sense. And one of the other things I found really interesting about your your website, your company, obviously outside of your core services, you also have these really three uh, initiatives that were super interesting. So you have Charlie, which is an emphasis on cultural commitment, Birdwatch, which is about inspiring knowledge sharing, and Intellect, which is about dedicating aid to startups and small businesses, three very different things. Definitely shows you have an interest in a lot of areas and, and want to lend your expertise to different pl- places. And so, but these three initiatives also immediately, when you're perusing your website, help set you apart. So can you tell us a little about them and, and what impact they're making? Where did they come from? 
Yeah. So I think what you're seeing is like the birth of ideas inside of the business that we had that we just went out and did, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll start with intellect. So when we first got started, we were doing websites and brand IDs. And all of a sudden, we landed a few fashion clients, direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses. And we'd ask them these very simple questions like, what are your sales? How much do you think you're going to make? What's your projection? What's your inventory looking like? Why do you make t-shirts versus pants? Are they higher average order value? Like, What's the business model here? And very quickly, you start to realize that some of the folks that we were talking to didn't know the answers to those questions. And so we ended up saying, well, we think we can help you out with that. And so we actually, myself and now current, he wasn't at the time, business partner, he's an ex-finance guy as well. We would spend time building financial planning Mm -hmm. um, and we'd actually build a business plan for some of the startups that we were working with to help them on their way. And they obviously paid for the service, but then they had something that they could actually go to market with. Obviously, it's a terrible business to be in because that's management consulting. And when you're (laughs) trying to do management consulting and run an agency, you start to realize very quickly it's not scalable. But that was the reason why we started that. And then, so, but what's interesting is that philosophy, that idea has permeated through the agency. So to that point about understanding the client's business, this is why I challenge the team to ask, like, what are you asking right. the client about their business? Forget creative, forget marketing. What do you understand about the objectives that they have? So it reshapes the way that they think. Birdwatches was a knowledge sharing group that I had this idea one day of like, oh, you know, why are we not sharing knowledge across the agency? Like these folks over here talk about all this cool stuff, but then these other folks don't. How are we creating knowledge sharing? And then it from went from like a group email chain to then a Slack channel to then an event series where we oh, basically wow. bring brands in and clients and individuals and they do conversations with the whole organization about what they were doing. So we had Facebook come in and the meta team talking about what product was going on. We had vintage store owners coming in telling us about wow of Canal Street in New York and what it was like in the 70s and 80s. We had artists, we had designers, we had musicians, and it was just a really cool way of bringing different thinking into the business. So that that was Birdwatch. And then Hello, It's Charlie, which was the online magazine, was just off the back of doing a ton of brand-sponsored content work with publishers. We decided to have a go at publishing content ourselves and gave the team a chance to partner with a designer and a different developer. So people from totally different parts of the business had to work together. People who they'd never met before or they'd never really had that much dealings with. And it was a way for us to bring the teams together from different areas to to create something unique for themselves. Very cool. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. So I think all those things have kind of like permeated now, hopefully through the business. I mean, they're no longer like activations that we have in the business. They're just more philosophies and ideas of how we think about the work and how we treat each other and work together. I love that. Well, I'm sure that actually helps you and your team realize what's more important in our in their clients, right? Because you have all this mentality about not only like thinking strategically and financially, but then also listening. 
to people, right? Listening to good stories, which is birth watching. And then Charlie's just, you have to work with diverse people from all over and the client is no exception. And so I, it's brilliant. And thank you very much for sharing it. I'm sure that actually that's shaped your company's culture in, in a very positive and unique way as well. We'd like to think so, but you never know. <laughs> cultures are, <laughs> cultures, cultures are, cultures are a difficult one. <laughs> we will get to culture in a minute because we're very passionate about culture. And I think that you have a lot of really good things to say about it. And it sounds like just yeah. by looking at your clients and what your the, the offerings that you've, you have, you guys are doing a great job there too. But outside of the agency, right? I mean, it sounds like... You're a, a serial entrepreneur, right? You also have delved into the strategic investments, and I'm probably going to butcher the name of this, but is it uh, Pedal? Pedal. 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 Yeah. All right. I wasn't sure if I had to go with the Mexican way of pronouncing E's or I's. <laughs> or that. Yeah. Pedal. So what is Pedal, and, and why did this organization catch your attention in the first place? Uh, yeah, it was the founder, uh, Chisa, who really caught my eye, actually. So they were looking at the time for angel investors for a recruitment platform for underrepresented, diverse talent. So what they do is they create programs that help larger corporations and organizations hire diverse talent. Typically, this talent is from STEM, you know, from the STEM curriculum, from STEM schools, highly educated, highly qualified. And it's a really unique way of being able to tap into people of color, multicultural audience that can add value, right? But the problem is that typically in, in the internship space, when you're looking at large corporations, they don't always pay enough on the stipend side. So this business is really focused on placing, but also setting up those candidates for success. So helping them negotiate compensation, setting a base layer of standard of accommodation and living, travel expense, et cetera. So they're really investing in ensuring that the talent when placed is set up for success to be eventually hired. So it's a yeah, really brilliant business idea and concept. And, you know, obviously I'm a person that's a huge advocate for equality and representation. Right. So I felt like it was a really great opportunity to be involved in something that aligns closely with my values. So We were talking about, before we got on, we were talking about just sort of the talent market and the difficulty people have had with that. I feel like, especially in small businesses, Finding good talent, retaining is always a big topic of discussion. Yeah. So being on this side of it, I'm curious what you've learned just about talent retention or setting people up for success or as a business owner, how you started looking at it differently through your involvement with Pedal. Yeah, it's a challenge and it, we don't have all the answers, unfortunately. It's a constant work in progress. my question. What was the answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a definite work in progress. Definitely, I don't feel like I can speak too confidently about this because it's something that we feel very was an area of challenge for us and, and for our industry. But I think one big thing that we learned during COVID was we had a team that basically was mid-level to junior-ish and we'd spent a lot of time developing them and turning them into senior talent. And during COVID, they all left. And well, post-COVID, right? We'd kept them on. We didn't dock their pay. We right. did all the things like a responsible purpose-driven business should do, which is look after its people. And then a year later, turned around and we had a, a very high turnover year. And we were really upset. And we were like, these people, like what? Right. And so 
we brought in a director of people operations and we were like, what is it that's, what is it that we're missing here? And what we started to realize very quickly was we had built a culture of like high performance. And so our expectations were incredibly high, meaning we were expecting 100% of the, the team to work 100%, 100% of the time. And when you have that level of pressure and you have a higher level of expectation, there is only one outcome, burnout, yeah. right? So what we realized is like, we can't work 100% of our people 100% of the time. There have to be ebbs and flows in the way that they work. We have to think about a better work-life balance. We have to be more accommodating. We have to be more empathetic. We have to understand that not every person that comes in is a business owner and wants to think like one. We embodied and championed this spirit of entrepreneurship, but kind of backfired a little bit because ultimately they didn't have equity in the company and they weren't necessarily able to do the things that they would hope to do as an entrepreneur themselves. So we just repivoted the way that we thought about people, the way that we managed the people, and ultimately the way that we, we were a lot more empathetic towards them versus being sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great learning experience. And <laughs> clearly we all did a lot of reflecting and still have since the pandemic to continue to learn about culture and building teams. Again, you find, you continue to find or start these really unique projects, become involved with them. Another one is First Close Partners that you were in, you're an investor in as well. So tell us more about the mission there and what the gap was that you saw that they're filling and and why you wanted to really be a part of that one. Yeah, and it, well, you'll see a trend, right? Yeah. Quality representation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anything I invest in has to have that. Right. If it's not, then why am I doing it? That's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Well, so, it's a big problem, right? I mean, it's, there's. We should we should openly talk about it all the time, as you and I spoke about it during the CEO summit. It it is a big problem. A hundred percent. And so. What I love about First Close is their philosophy is very much centered around funding underrepresented managers. But here's the thing, underrepresented managers in the venture capital private equity space actually outperform their peers considerably. But that's wow. not a known fact, right? And so when you start totaling it up and benchmarking a lot of these companies against themselves, you start to realize that if they had access to the same capital that the their other incumbents have access to, they'd probably be light years ahead. Um, and that's not just because, you know, diverse talent is better. It's because diverse talent is diverse. You just have more opportunities in more different spaces. There's emerging markets. There's newer um, areas for development, innovation, et cetera. So First Close is a really brilliant business run by a fantastic team of really smart venture capitalist experts who handpick and select the best venture capital funds that, that are mandated to be more than 50% owned by diverse operators. And so, yeah, that, you know, they, they don't necessarily have to invest in other diverse owned businesses if they do, fantastic. But it's just a way for me to invest in companies that I believe in and Hopefully we well, I'm pretty sure, yeah, pretty sure you have made a big impact in uh, a lot of people's lives just because of the way you think. And 
as promised, we love culture. And uh, so I wanted to ask you a couple of things about the culture that you have created and, and the one that you're developing right now, not only in your company, but then all these different ventures that you have invested in. And two of them that kind of struck me as very interesting, and I would like you to tell us a little bit more about is family first and going offline, because they really both seem off the shelf when it comes to standard things to do with your company, and both of them very interesting. So if you could tell us a little bit more about those two, that would be great. Yeah, wow, you've done your homework. <laughs> well, we try we try <laughs> our best. I mean, you really know, yeah. <laughs> well, as Christy said in the pre-show, this really inspires us to keep doing what we do. So for us, this is for us, this is a treat. We enjoy these conversations. Oh, I love it. So yeah, uh, really good question. So Family First was around basically providing a stipend or uh, a benefit to working moms, what what we and and parents, dads as well. Um, and what we saw was we're working parents ourselves and it's difficult trying to juggle the drop off, the pickup, sports day, the photo shoot kid day, whatever it is that's going on as a parent, you've got to be there and you should be there. And, you know, your company should be helping support that. It's a very important thing for me, for people to be close to their family and to feel like they have had that time and that their employer was understanding and so what we started to see with some of the carers was that they were working full-time jobs and having to do all of these other different things. And we asked the question, you know, what is it that we could do to help? And there wasn't really an answer. And we started to realize very quickly, well, hang on, 90% of these people don't have childcare or they're not paying for daycare. And we started to do the maths and say, well, it's mainly because they probably can't afford to right? Not everybody can afford to pay the $30,000 a year, whatever it is, to pay for the daycare to have Absolutely. be looked after. So we said, well, we can't pay the full $30,000, but what's the maximum benefit that we can offer to some of these working folks to give them some help towards that? And so the Family First Initiative is really around working parents. We pay $8,000 a year per, per year um, wow. towards the childcare um, and their child benefits which really just gives them the space to to have the help they need and deserve. Um, wow. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Because at the end of the day, that is important. You mentioned it very clearly, right? Going to that soccer game, being part of that photo shoot, being in the high school or lower school play. I mean, those are the things that really matter in life, right? I mean, what we do, our jobs are meaningless if you take all these other things that we have going on with our families and personal life and sports and everything that we just share right as human beings a hundred percent and i think a lot of that came from the fact that you know as our parents worked two and three jobs to take to spend the money to take us to the good schools so we didn't see yes. our parents that much as, as kids and i think my thing is that i want to be there for my children and I think it's very important. And I think ultimately it just comes back into this idea of like, if you have an employer who understands these things and is empathetic to your situation, then you have no reason to feel disgruntled or unhappy or overworked because the company actually cares about you. You know, the company is right. trying to provide a stable environment for you to do your best work. And that's ultimately our responsibility as leaders, right, is to provide the security and the environment for people to do the best work, you know? 
Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And then you also have another really good initiative called Going Offline. Tell us a bit more about that one. Yeah, we have quite a few. We don't like doing any work at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. New day, Just, new idea. That's what makes you guys so good at what you do, probably. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I need to talk to my finance guy. But <laughs> Wait, you are the finance guy. <laughs> you, I know. He's sitting behind me right now on my shoulder. <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, so going offline is basically, we have quite a few different events at the business. Um, going offline is one, right, where we take mental health week, which is usually, I think, at the beginning of September. So right after this, the long break. And really, for us, it's ability to, it's actually October, I think. And it's an ability for us to really take time and the mental space to be able to do the work and our best work. During this time of year, this is our heaviest season because it's the holiday right. season. You have a lot of retail clients. It's mad dash scramble, Thanksgiving, Christmas, January, February. The holiday season has kicked off and it's non-relenting. So... Yeah, the going offline is an ability for everybody to switch off their machines. We we notify our clients. We tell them we are not doing any work. We need this time. I love that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to be fresh and ready to rock and roll. So that's what that is. But we also have Christmas off as well. So we close the office around December 18th. Some people do a few hours here and there, but we try to close the office again for two weeks during Christmas give the team a chance to reset post this uh, crazy holiday period and, you know, get to back to restoring some balance between work wow. and life. Yeah. Yeah. Agency life is not, I mean, it has a reputation definitely for being hard. You mentioned burnout. So how have your people responded to those two things and, and the things like that you're doing? What kind of feedback have you heard? Yeah. I mean, we've heard some great things. We've heard some not so great things, right? Some folks sometimes don't want to take the time because then they feel like they're right. really further behind. So it, even though you try to want to do good, doesn't always result in it working for everybody. And so that is the trade-off, right? Is just saying, well, you know, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. We can figure right. out something that's more flexible. So if you don't want to take mental health week, but you want to take a few days here and there or finish earlier, by all means, you do what you feel is necessary, but we do want to ensure that they have that time. But yeah, we think it's been good. Our retention is incredibly high. I think we have the average tenure is coming up to three years now, which, wow, believe it or not, it sounds like no time, but in this business, it's insanely high turnover. I think the average is one year, right? Bet between employees, when you're looking at age demographics between 23 to 35, they usually stay one to 1.8 years wow. so to get to three is really impressive. We're really happy with that. And so we want that to continue. Yeah. Well, let's also talk about, you mentioned we're coming up, as we noted, coming up on the holiday season here in the U.S. You have some awesome clients that you work with, Birkenstock, Aveda, which is a personal favorite, Cartier, Marriott, Boston Consulting Group, which is where Enrique and our other co-founder, Brian Oxley, met. Okay, so every brand is different. You're clearly working with a, a wide spectrum, but there are also, I'm sure, some commonalities, some threads, some themes that you noticed. So 
and you talked about just getting to know your clients. So, you know, what is a, a piece of advice or a lesson learned that you think every brand should consider when they're out there trying to grab market share in the world's attention? I don't have to do everything. Just do one or two things really, really well. We see so much of this in the race to be keep up with the Joneses and to do all of the cool things and leverage all the technologies. You find brands are spread very thin and internal teams are also spreading even even further thinner. And the reality is, is not everything adds value inside the market marketing ecosystem. And so actually it's, it's slowing down to speed up is kind of how I like to say things to clients, which is it might feel like a long process of going through a strategy project for two months or six weeks, but sticking, creating a strategy and sticking to it, holy moly, the brands that we've worked with that have executed on the strategy have become wildly successful. And the ones that haven't are the ones that have consistently veered away from the strategy that was set and haven't iterated. They've just moved away in another direction and it's not worked the way that they thought they have, or we've not felt that it's been as as successful as it could be. So keeping it simple, doing the basics incredibly well, focusing less on on the volume and more on the quality of the work that you're doing and really thinking through the strategy and the planning elements that make up whatever endeavor it is that you're doing. Those four things I think are really key to to, to being successful in this space. Terrific. Thank you for doing my 2024 planning. (laughs) I know that was pretty good, right? Just copy paste it, send it to me. We're done. Yes, done. (laughs) It's been an amazing conversation, and I thank you again for taking the time to talk to us uh, today. I know you have many, many things. Your team seems to be incredibly busy as well, and they're doing meaningful, purpose-driven work, which is great. They're not just wasting their time, so it sounds like. What inspires you to keep working hard like that every day? And maybe before you tell me what inspires you, I mean, what do you think inspires your team and your company at the Charles Group? We got asked this question in a pitch that we didn't win. So <laughs> You'll have another chance. You'll win this one. I guarantee you. I hope, I, I hope we do. We had a great ending conversation with them, but we didn't win. But they asked a really interesting question. They said, what's your company culture like? Why do the people work for you? And it was a team of eight people. And I was like, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to let them answer. Right. And like, pray, let's praise the Lord that they give a good one. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, one of our senior folks, he he said something that was really, really, I felt really heartfelt about. And he basically just said, I've been in this industry now for 25 years. I've worked to the biggest advertising agencies. I've worked for the coolest brands, Rolex, Nike, whoever. And he's like, I choose to work here. It's a choice because there isn't a company that I've been at that I've enjoyed working with these types of people at. And the leadership team and the management team's perspective on what makes a good company is evident, clear through everybody wanting to work together. So I, I think that was a powerful statement for me and was great to hear somebody reaffirm what I feel like we've been trying to build for the last 12 years, which is just a place where people want to have fun and come to and excited to spend time with their coworkers and and just do cool shit. I like it. I like it. I love that. And 
And clearly you, purpose means a lot to you. It means, you know, something to you personally, as well as your team, you and Enrique met at the Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit. We've talked a little bit about your, what you do, the advertising agency. And then of course, we were talking just about the industry before we got on the call. It, it is like, I guess, probably like a lot of industries, everything has changed over the last couple of years for all of us, right? One of the positive things we're obviously seeing is purpose being embraced in business and that it can be more than just profits, that there can be purpose at the center of that as well. And so how do you think you work with a lot of B2C, but you also have B2B as well? So how do you think we'll continue to see that message, that branding, um, both internally and externally within companies? How do you think we'll continue to see that evolve over the coming years? I think businesses um, are struggling, if I'm going to be very honest, because there's a new dawn, there's a new awakening of conscious capitalists, right? There's people who are now the majority of the workforce who actually care about where they work. They care about the brands that they purchase. They care about the sustainability goals and efforts that these companies say they have. So we are now in the do economy, right? You can't just say what you think you should say to appease the masses now you actually have to do it and so i think what that means is the distinction between purpose-driven businesses and companies that are not the distinction will become even clearer and that will i think create a wave of esg focused businesses that aren't even categorized as ESG businesses. That's just right. the standard, right? And I think it will be an us versus them kind of divide. That's my theory. Could be completely wrong. I mean, right now, there's so much work that needs to happen for some of the biggest companies in the world to do. And they have a definitive ability to change the way in which we live, the way in which we grow Google to their market capitalization, Apple, the, these biggest, these huge tech companies, they are basically uh, transforming the way that we live, the way we consume, the way that we interact, right? So the responsibility that they have to society, I think is even, even bigger. And I think they realize this. And so I think it's going to be a, a world of the people who actually care and the people who don't. Nice. I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you again for sharing your thoughts on this. We're running out of time. So last question for you, and we'll let you go. If you could just tell the CEOs or anyone in particular, like a call to action. I mean, in terms of like the future, the world, we live in a world that's not only changing very rapidly, as you pointed out, but it seems like to me, if you pay too much attention to the media, that everything's falling apart, right? You have wars, you have all this, what would you, as, as someone that clearly cares about your team, people, humanity, I mean, what would you tell to everyone else that's listening to us right now to help out? My message is, is actually simple. We as leaders have to come together more. Events like Conscious Capitalism, I think, are fantastic breeding ground for a, a collective, a, a group 
of people, of individuals who come together to share their collective experience. And so for me, my words would be words of encouragement to other leaders who feel alone to not feel alone and understand that there are people out there like them that are doing things that are making changes and things aren't as necessarily as bad as it always seems to be in the media, right? right? So it's about coming together in a way where we can listen to each other, where we can come with no ego and we can genuinely learn from each other's experiences. And I think that is what's going to create a new wave of conscious leadership. Thank you. Right here. That's great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time, for your willingness to be here with us and all the, the fun we had even before getting on. Sorry, everyone missed that. But um, we really appreciate it. Before we go, we really, how do people find you? How do they connect with you? Where do they look you up online? Clearly, you've demonstrated your expertise and ability and just your willingness to also help create a better world. So how can people find you? LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn, Aaron C. Edwards. Also go follow my company, The Charles Group. We put out a weekly email newsletters full of fun things. The Charles Group as well, or thecharlesnyc.com. Go check that out. We got a lot of fun things on there. Love the little celebration thing. That was cool. I, I just learned about this earlier today, and I'm so <laughs> fascinated with this. Have you seen that before? I keep a bunch of more stuff because you're marketing, right? So you've seen no, that before. I keep doing this thing where... Balloons keep coming out <laughs> my hands. So that's this. Is that that's this? this one? <laughs> yeah, they keep coming out. And I'm like, why have I got balloons coming out of my hands? Yeah. Okay, now I know. Yeah. I, I have all of them now. But oh. There you go. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, technology, as you said. But anyways, amazing conversation. For anyone listening to that last part, I recommend that you go to the video version because otherwise you're not going to get what we were laughing about. But as Aaron said, listen, no egos, learn. And if you like conversations like the ones that we just had with Aaron, just don't forget to subscribe. Thank you very much and see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys.